As you make your way to your seats, we'll be in John chapter 1. But also I'm here to tell you that there was a necklace found in the parking lot with a fingerprint on the back that says dad. Arissa! Now you got to come up on stage. What should I make her do? You want to you pray like for everybody? Or? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> if it wasn't Arissa, I wouldn't have done that. It's only because I love you so much. John chapter 1, we're continuing our series, working through the gospel of John, looking at the unexpected Jesus, because when Jesus showed up, he did everything different than anyone ever expected that the Messiah or God would do. So that's where we're at, John chapter 1, sorry, verse 14, so go ahead and turn there. But, I'm real, but as you're turning, I'm curious, how many of you years ago watched the TV show Lost? Okay, how many of you liked the ending? Nobody. No one liked the ending. But you'll remember in the TV show Lost, if you haven't seen it, here's what happened. There was a plane crash on an island, and uh, you know most everyone survived. And so now all these people are stranded on this island, and you know, you're, you're doing what you would expect. They're trying to build shelter. They're trying to build fire. They're trying to find food and all these things. And, and, and a part of the show is all these weird things happen, like a polar bear is on the island. And there's this giant smoke monster thing. And all this weird stuff's happening. And all they want to do for the whole show is get off the island. And so they're trying to build a raft. They're trying to do smoke signals. They're trying to do everything they can. They're trying to get a radio working to radio out so someone could find them because they want to get off the island. Right? Of course, you want to get off the island. Well, eventually they do, uh, or most of them get off the island. And they're back at home in the city where everything began. But what they realize is that there's something wrong. And everything in in their life kind of begins to not make sense. And there's something missing. And Jack, the main character at that point, goes and he rounds up everyone who had got off the island with him. And he gets them together and he says the famous line, we've got to go back. Because they were missing something that the island provided for them. Some of y'all are going to go Netflix that show now. Because you should. But this is really the story of our lives, that we were created on the island, so to speak, in the garden, in paradise, but we wanted out. We thought there was better things out of the garden for us, but now the ache of our soul is we got to get back. We got to go back to the garden of Eden. We got to go back to paradise because this isn't what it was all made up to be. We got to get back. That is the story of our lives. John chapter 1, starting in verse 14. The words of our God, written by the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say this And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Another show or movie, hopefully everyone has seen. If not, you may leave. I'm just kidding. I take it back. But it's Sandlot. 
And you'll remember in the Sandlot, you know, all these kids get together and they want to play a baseball game. And, and um, how can I have some more if I haven't had any yet? You know what I'm saying? Legends get remembered, but... Heroes get remembered, but legends... Okay, sorry, my bad. Anyway, so in Sandlot, you'll remember they, the guy hits a home run and the ball goes over the wrong fence and the fence that has beware of dog, no trespassing, don't go over here. And, and they're trying to get to the ball, but they can't because there's a giant dog in there that's going to eat them, right? And, 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 and so there is this barrier, access denied, don't go in here. And that's got to be kind of sort of how Adam and Eve would have felt when they were kicked out of the garden the thing that they wanted and needed was just on the other side of some wall. To get back into the garden was just on the other side if they could get in there. But for them, it wasn't a dog behind the fence guarding the ball, but rather it was an angel with a flaming sword. Access denied. They could not gain entrance. No access. You see, the Garden of Eden, in many ways, was the first, quote-unquote, temple. It is the temple. It is the place where man met with God, walked with God, was in God's presence. They walked with him. They talked with him. They had a relation with, relationship with him. There was no blocking their access to him in the Garden of Eden. Anytime they wanted to be with God, he was there. There was no walls or guards, no restrictions. There was nothing. It was paradise, and paradise was living with God in the Garden but now Adam and Eve find themselves on the outside of the garden looking in, wanting to get back into it, but can't. And it doesn't matter how much they want it. It doesn't matter how, how much they beg and plead. It doesn't matter how much they pray. It doesn't matter how hard they try. Their access is denied. They can't get back in the garden. Now, fast forward a couple thousand years. God's people still have no access to him. He's delivered them from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. You know that story. They still have no access to him. They could not be in the presence of God. They couldn't get back to what it was like in the garden. But God in his grace comes up with a fix. He has this kind of patchwork, this temporary reality, this thing, the best they could do in the situation, better than nothing kind of a fix. And God instructs them to build a tabernacle. So they build this giant tent. And on the tent, it's made out of animal skins, and it's, uh, it's like 15 foot by 45 foot, so it's a really big tent. But this tent was supposed to, to go with them everywhere they were going to go. And so here they are traveling in the, in the desert, right? They're, they're trying to get to the promised land. And so when they break camp to go, they've got to break down this giant tent, 15 by 45 tent with animal skins and all kinds of stuff inside of it. And every time they want to break camp, they got to pack this whole thing up and, and start moving and go. Now imagine with me for a moment what that might be like. Many of you in this room like to go camping. Now some of you have these things called campers, and just because camp is in the name does not mean that's camping. Amen. That's called glamping. Look that up. Camping, you got to sleep on the ground. There got to be a tent involved right? You got to sleep on the ground. And if you've ever gone camping and you've set up a tent before, you know that it takes some time. You know that you think you're going to get in there and just set it up because it's going to be so easy. But eventually you pull out the instructions and go, where does this piece go? It's set up, but this thing is missing. Where does this go, right? And, and you set it all up and it takes forever. But then taking the tent down, you get it up and that took longer than expected, but then you take it down. 
and you realize after it's all taken apart that you forgot your clothes in there, and so now you're like reaching up in the tent trying to find your clothes, and you get them out, and then you, you're trying to fold it, and it's wet and gross and dirty, and, but you're still going to fold it. We'll clean it later, and you never do, and, and then you fold it up, and then, you, and then you fold it real tight, and someone's pulling on that end, and you're trying to get it all tight, and then you go to put it in the bag, and it won't fit. And it doesn't matter how many times you try to re-roll this thing. It doesn't matter how many people step on it or try to shove it in the bag. It won't fit back into the bag. And so you eventually quit. And it's sticking halfway out of the bag. And you're just like, this will do. And you throw it in the truck and you leave. Now, that's some nice modern tent. But imagine, imagine what it would have been like for the Israelites taking down this giant tent, this tabernacle. 15 foot by 45 foot, it's heavy. The sides are made of these giant animal skins. There's all kinds of things in there. And every time that they break camp to move, to travel, they've got to break this thing down, move, and set it back up. If they want to be in God's presence, they have to do all that. Tear it down, set it up. Because you got to remember, for them, the Holy Spirit did not live inside of them, right? Holy Spirit didn't live inside of them. That's a New Testament thing. And so if they wanted to be in God's presence, they had to build this tent. And they had to do all these things. And that's just the beginning. Not only did they have to build the tent, but if they wanted to access to God, if they wanted a relationship with God, they had to build the tabernacle in the right way. And then uh, they had to, there was limits, right? Like they could, they, everyone couldn't go in the tent. Right? You had to be the priest to go in the tent. And, I, and so it's like I get to go in for you guys. I'll go meet and have a relationship with God for you guys. And so I'll go into the tent and pray for you guys. I'll go into the tent and make a sacrifice for you guys. But that's all they could do. They couldn't get into the garden. They couldn't be in God's presence, but someone could go for them. Someone could go for them. You see, this is our problem. We had no access to God particularly as Gentiles, as I'm assuming most of us or all of us in this room are, non-Jewish people, we have really no access to God because even if there was still a temple or a tabernacle, we couldn't go in it either. And no matter how much you wanted God, no matter how much you prayed or pleaded, how much you served him or how good you were, it wouldn't matter. You had no access to his presence. No matter how much you wanted to get back to the garden or get into the tabernacle, you were powerless to come to God. That sets the stage for our verse 14 this morning. That idea, it sets the stage that for thousands of years since Adam and Eve left the garden, they've been longing to get back into the garden. It's the ache of their soul, and all they have gotten was this tabernacle. That's the reality. And then verse 14 comes, and it says this. And the word of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. So Jesus, the one who had no beginning, right? A couple weeks ago, Jesus, the word, had no beginning. He's the creator of the world. He's the logos. He becomes flesh. He becomes human, right? And we, we look at that and we think, yeah, got that Christmas. Jesus becomes, God becomes a man. He becomes a baby. We understand that, but there's more here. Notice it says, he became flesh and dwelt. He dwelt among us. Now the word, it's interesting. The word John chooses to use for dwelt it reads like this in Greek. And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. You see, Jesus has come as the tabernacle. 
You see, Jesus himself is the very presence of God. He is the one who lived in the, in the inside of the temple where God dwelled. He is the one that our access has been restricted to. He is the one that walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was Jesus. It is him we've been trying to get back to. It is him our souls have longed for. And since we could not get to him, since our access was restricted to him, since we were cut off from him, he came to us. He brings the presence of God to us. He tabernacled to us. You see, we do not find the presence of God in the garden anymore. We do not find the presence of God in a tabernacle or a temple. Or hear me, we do not find the presence of God even in a church. This is not God's house. We find the presence of God in a man. You want to meet God? There is only one place you can find him, and it is the man Jesus of Nazareth. He is the tabernacle. He is the presence of God. You want to find God, you find him. You see, we could not get back to the garden to be with him, so he left the garden to come be with us. You see, our access to God is no longer a problem. Right? We can be in his presence anytime we want. Because when you come to Christ, when he sends his spirit to live inside of you, he makes you a part of that tabernacle, a part of that temple. So when you are in Christ, the presence of God is with you because he has tabernacled amongst us, but when you believe, he has tabernacled in you. The presence of God has come into the world, and when you trust in him, he comes to take up residence in you. So you have access to the presence of God not when you come to this building, but any moment in your life. See, our access now isn't an issue. When we come to Christ, our access isn't an issue anymore because Jesus has tabernacled. He's come. We can have a relationship with him anytime we want, but there's another problem. The problem every human has had since the beginning, and that is how we get to Jesus. How do we get, so if Jesus is the presence of God and I want to be in the presence of God, how do I get Jesus, how do I get to him? Notice verse 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law was given through Moses. What does that mean? What's the law? Think 10 commandments, right? Think about all these laws in the Bible. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shouldn't lie. All these on and on. And here's the question I want, I want you to answer, I want you to think about. Why did God in the Bible give us the law? Why did he give us the Ten Commandments? Why did he give us all these other rules and laws? Why did he do it? Was it so that we could follow the laws and then find God? No. It wasn't so that we could follow the rules and find our way to him. Here's why God gave us the law. God gave us the law to reveal your inability to keep the law. God gave you these rules in the Bible to show you you can't keep them. It's like this. So it's like uh, you go to Kings Island and there's a new roller coaster and you want to go ride it and you're like 10 years old and you go up and they got the little stick there and you got to go and put your back to the stick and see if you're tall enough to ride. And if you know you're not tall enough, what do we do? You go up there and you, and you kind of 
You try to stretch, get on your tippy toes, right? And, and try to make yourself be tall enough. But you know what the amazing thing is that none of us do? We don't go, oh, I'm not tall enough. It's okay. I'm not, not ready to ride it. I'll, I'll be next year. We don't do that, right? We trick ourselves, get on our tippy toes. and like, no, I'm good. I'm tall enough. See? You got like this tall high heels on or something. Instead of the law showing us that we don't measure up, we often fool ourselves into looking at the law and thinking, yeah, I measure up. The law was designed to show us we don't measure up, but often we look at the law and think, I'm good. Isn't it amazing how we can fool ourselves? And why do we do that? See, we love rules. We love rules because rules make us feel comfortable. Because when there are rules, we know all I got to do is this and don't do that and I'm good. And I know exactly where my standing is because I haven't done that and I did this and so I know I'm good. So we like rules. We like to be told, do this and you're in. Okay. We like that. See, since we can fool ourselves into thinking that we keep the rules enough, or at least better than those other people, it makes us feel safe. And, and, and you might say to me, Brent, um, you know, I know I'm not perfect. I know, my, I know I make mistakes like everyone else, but here is my fear. Here's my fear for you this morning. My fear is that some of you deep down believe that God grades on a curve, Remember creating curves on, when, you, when you know you're not going to do well on the test and you really hope that the teacher grades it on a curve? Some of you, I think deep down, believe God is going to grade you on a curve, that you're a pretty decent person, that you're a hard worker, you're a good old boy. You give to the church, you come to church, you pray sometimes, not as much as you like, but you know, you pray and you work hard and you think that God will just take your B your A minus and round that puppy on up to 100. But God does not grave on a curve. He doesn't round up your score. Hear me say this. Do you know what keeping the rules to 99.9% gets you? If you keep the rules 99.9%, it will get you an eternity in hell under the righteous condemnation and wrath of God. You see, the best that we have the the best we have to offer, our best obedience, our best faithfulness, our best ability to keep the rules, the Bible says, are filthy rags. The best you have is filthy rags. Your best doesn't even come close to the measuring stick. And so when you run up into the park and you put your back up to the measuring stick, it's not like it's close if I just get on my tippy toes, I'm almost there. No, that, that thing is way up there and you're not even close. And so if you were to be honest with yourself, if you would see that your best compared to the measuring stick of God's law falls way short, and that standing on your tippy toes doesn't even come close, what do we do? When you, when you realize that, when you realize, okay, I thought that God graved on a curve and that I was good enough, good enough to get in and that he just kind of rounded up and we just call it even. When you realize that that's not, that's not gonna be good enough, what do you do? Here's the good news. In all of the stories about Jesus, there's always two groups of people, right? 
There are two groups of people. There are the religious people who, who are good and they wear the right clothes. They say the right things. They pray all the time. They fast all the time. They know the Bible. They, they, they get all the things right. They look good. They do things by the book. And do you know what Jesus called them? A brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. People who are dead on the inside but pretty on the outside. And then there was the other group the sinners, and the tax collectors. And I want you to hear this word the Bible says all the time that Jesus hung out with, and I want you to understand what I'm saying. The sinners, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes. And those were the people that Jesus was hanging out with. And again and again, Jesus said that it was for them that he came. For them that knew they were broken. Knew that they didn't measure up knew that even if God graved on a curve, that they still wouldn't make, make it. And again and again, Jesus was with them. He ate with them. He hung out with them. He loved them, forgave them. Jesus came for those who, he, who, who knew they were lawbreakers. He says he doesn't come for those who think they're law keepers. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the temple or the tabernacle and you can only meet God in him, in that man, in Jesus, then you could only get to Jesus by grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is receiving that which you don't deserve. It is unearned or unmerited favor. So you can't come to Jesus through the law. You'll never make it. You can only come by grace. Only by knowing you are a sinner and receiving that which was earned for you. See, grace, though, is hard for us. Like, it is hard to sometimes for us to stand on grace because when, you have, when you're in by grace, you don't know where you stand. If it was that God required A, B, and C of us, and we did A, B, and C, we'd know we were good. God, you can't say anything because I did A, B, and C. But when you are in by grace alone, it's a little unnerving because you are putting all of your hope and trust into someone else telling you, no, you're good. And you can't look at yourself at all to determine whether or not you're good. You're trusting someone else to say, no, you're good. I got you. So that's a little scary, hence why we like rules. Hence why we like to be able to say, no, I did this, and so I'm good. Grace is uncomfortable, and it's scary, but it is the only way. When my children make mistakes, they do something wrong, you know what I don't make them do? I don't make them go make up for it. I don't make them say, hey, well, if you're going to get back into my good graces, you've got to go do A, B, and C. Now, they get disciplined. They get in trouble, sure. But they don't have to work their way back into our family. They don't have to go feel bad enough until they get back. They don't have to go and do something to get back. No, they're just in. No matter what they do, they're in. I've parents come to me all the time and talk about their, their wayward children, children who have you know, gone down the wrong path or messed up some way or another and, and they've betrayed their parents or these children have hurt their parents. And you know what those parents say to me? Parents who have been betrayed by their kids, hurt by their kids, 
and their kids want nothing to do with them, they would tell me with tears in their eyes, Brent, I don't care what they've done. He's my boy. He's my girl. She's my girl. And I just want them to come home. And if us earthly sinful people, parents, can love our wayward children like that, they don't have to earn their way back into our family. They just got to come. If, way, if, if earthly parents can have grace like that, can you not imagine the grace of God? Can you imagine the grace of God? That we never work our way into his good graces. We never work our way back into his family. But we stand on the merit of another. You see, the text this morning tells us that the word became flesh. Right? Jesus became human because he needed to live a perfect life. He needed to be human so that he could give us credit for his perfect life. Because he couldn't round up the score, but he could take the test for us. He can't round up your score, but he could take the test in your place. But he also became human because in order to take the test in your place, to give you credit for his test, he has to take your test. He has to take the failure of your test on himself. He has to become human because only a human can die. And so Jesus becomes human so that he can die because of what you've done and he can live perfectly to give that to you. See, the only way that you can come to God is through grace. The only way that you get to come into the presence of God, into the temple, the tabernacle, the only way you get to know God and be with him and go back to the garden is to be carried on the back of another. You don't contribute anything. He does it all. See, ultimately, do you know why we're able to go back to the garden? Do you know why we're able to get back into the presence of God? How we can know God and have a relationship with him again? How we can have access granted? Because before Jesus came, before he did anything that he did, before he went to the cross, before he lived for us, before he did all of that, do you know what he decided? He determined. He chose that he would go do that. You see, God initiated this rescue plan. You see, we weren't out here begging God, do something to fix this. Come save us. We weren't calling, but yet still he came. He initiated his grace toward us so that we could know him. You see, we can all get back to the garden because God took the first step. We are not like Jack, the main character from Lost, who all get together and say, we gotta go back. Because it was God who said, I must get them back. And so he has. Because the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. You want to know God? Jesus has made him known. He's brought his presence, and he's inviting you in, but you can't get in by your own effort. You can't get in on your own merit, but he's inviting you into his presence by his merit for you. He's taken the tests in your place, and he's died for you.
he'll let you in so that you can be in his presence. Let's pray. God, this morning, Lord, we know that there are many of us in this room who who struggle with this idea of grace. Not, Not necessarily intellectually, but we struggle with this idea of grace in our hearts and kind of in our deep soul because we want to have this confidence that we're okay because we want to look at our life and say, well, I've done this and I've done that, so I must be good with God, right? God, this morning, would you show us that we can have more confidence, not looking at the things that we have done, but looking at the things you have done for us. And that grace is lavished on us in plenty to cover every wrong, every spot, every blemish, every mistake, every failure. That you cover us completely by grace so that we get to come into your presence in the tabernacle. So that we get to know you and live with you forever by grace. And we can know you. God, this morning, two groups of people I'm thinking about. One, Father, for those in here that have a difficulty with confidence and salvation because they look to themselves, God, would you help them to let go of those clenched fists that are thinking about the things they've they've done and looking at themselves and think, well, I've stopped doing that, so hopefully I'm good, or I started living this way, so I'm good. Help them to let those things go and rest in the favor and the grace that God has given them in Christ. But God, for the other group this morning who is here, and I don't know their story, God, but if they're here and they, and they, and they maybe they've never believed, they want to believe for the first time, or maybe they've never understood what the gospel really was, and now they do, or, or maybe, maybe they, they thought Christianity was about rules, that Christianity were, Christians were good people, people who had their act together, people who were upstanding citizens, who thought they were better than everybody else, goody-goody two-shoes, but now they realize that Christians are people who don't have it together, people who are screwed up, people who have pasts and mistakes, but we all rest in grace. And the one who achieved for us what we could not achieve for ourselves. If you're here in this room this morning and that's you and you said, you know what, I thought Christianity was about being a good person. But now I realize it's not about being a good person. It's about looking to the only good person to save you. If that's you, let me tell you how you can come to him and be transformed by him. If you're here this morning and any of those things fit you or you have anything else going on in your life and you just want to hug someone or just pray with someone or you just want to come kneel here in the front and pray, come pray with me or we've got some, some men on the sides that would love to pray with you. I just want to invite you to do that as we sing this song. Maybe you're here and you never really understood what grace was. You want to stand and sing this song about the wondrous mystery of how God could love us and save us. Sing that a little louder this morning because that grace is yours if you believe in Christ but if you don't trust in Christ that grace is not yours but you can receive it today as we sing I invite you to come come and pray come and talk with us so we might help you Jesus name we pray God give us the courage all people said let's stand